WKWZ. Sayasi. It's Friday night. Curry way down top. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! From Sayo to NYC to across the country. Manning lobs it. Burris alone. Touchdown, New York. We've got all the latest and greatest in sports. This is Friday Night Lights here on WKWZ 88.5 SIAS. Man, oh man, does that voice sound familiar. <laughs> You're listening to Friday Night Lights here on WKWZ 88.5 FM SIAS at Amitangani, and I am alongside Cole Nevins and Spencer Pugash tonight. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great, and we were actually just talking about your voice being on the intro. I yeah. go to Spencer, I go, is that is that Ethan? Is that his voice on there? And he nods. He nodded his head. Yes. So now we got our confirmation there. So <laughs> exactly. we we love that intro every Friday. It really Thank do. You. I I appreciate it. It was fun to make, and this is fun to be on the Friday night show. I haven't been on here in a while. Uh, I used to be on. Uh, I think every week on Friday nights uh, last year. But uh, good to be back here on. This Friday, a good way to kick off a good weekend. So let's jump right into some school sports to start off. The baseball team for Syosset is playing a playoff game tonight against league best Massapequa. The game started about an hour ago. Uh, I don't currently have a score update, but uh, what are you expecting from this baseball team today and even tomorrow uh, going playing at home against Massapequa? Well, as you mentioned just now, that Massapequa are the reigning champs of the New York State Baseball League. So it's a big competition for this Braves team, especially coming off an 8-10 season, which was actually better than they've done in past years. So that was a big step forward for the team. But the biggest theme, for, in my opinion, for this upcoming playoff series is consistency. When I'm looking through the games just now, there's only one three-game winning streak the entire season, and everything was very streaky and inconsistent for the Braves. So this team really needs to catch fire and, you know, get a little luck in this series. I think Cam Mayer, the ace of this team, really needs a strong start in his game. Maybe he plays two games in it. Is it, I don't know the full series. Is it five game or seven game? It's three games. Three games? Today, tomorrow, and then uh, Monday. All right. So, I mean, can Cam pitch twice? Probably not. I yeah, mean, I would if, guess not. Yeah, yeah, I would assume not. I mean, maybe if they needed to, they'd take him out of the bullpen yeah, on Monday if exactly. it came down to that. But uh-huh. he's not going to start twice. Well, regardless, in that one start, he really needs to dominate like he did all season. That could be a chance for the Braves to steal a game right off the bat. So I think that's going to be a huge theme to watch in this series. Consistency and Cam's one start. Yeah, for sure. I know... Uh, Definitely the, the guys on the team have the utmost respect for Massapequa. Um, they know what stiff competition they are, and obviously the fact that they lost three games to them uh, this year in a row proves that. But I know they also feel that anytime Cam takes the mound, they have a good chance. And uh, I feel that, like Cole said, if, if they're going to take the Massapequa by surprise and do something in this series, they absolutely need to win that game. And then I guess the other two games are up in the air, but... Yeah, it really all starts with Cam, and then, of course, they got a hit. But Massapequa's got tremendous players. Travis Honeyman, uh, I think, is their best. He's hitting o- over 500 this year, <laughs> and he's committed. He's a junior committed to Boston College. So Massapequa's always been good at baseball, but they're in one of their stretches right now where they're just borderline unbeatable. And um, I know every person on the 
Braves really has reverence for what they're doing down there. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you guys hit all the good points. When you look at Cam Mayer, uh, this is has been their ace the whole season. And really, when you look at his competition uh, versus other teams they've played, uh, Cam Mayer for Syosset, he is committed to Tufts uh, on a baseball scholarship. And other than that, Syosset really doesn't have any other uh, commits for baseball. And you look at all the other teams they're playing between Oceanside and Massapequa, these are full-on college baseball teams at this point with all the players. Obviously not, uh, that's an exaggeration, but between all the players committed to college. So basically when Cam's not on the mound, it's like a high school team playing a college team. When Cam is on the mound, they have a better shot because now you have uh, a pitcher up to caliber uh, with these other teams that they're playing. So obviously in his first outing against Massapequa, it didn't go the way they wanted. I believe they lost that game 9 nothing. Uh, that also comes down to hitting two, and I believe Cam was pulled at one point in the game, and not all those runs came off of him. Regardless, he then played Oceanside uh, towards the end of the season, and Oceanside's obviously uh, a very good team, too. Uh, maybe not up to Massapequa's level, but still very high up there. And he ended up shutting out Oceanside with eight strikeouts. Uh, and it was a walk-off hit that gave Syosset the one nothing win. So uh, hopefully we see another tightly uh, down-to-the-wire game tonight, if not for Syosset blowing out Massapequa, which is very unlikely. But still, you know, you want to see Syosset come out big tonight, uh, hopefully get off to a strong start, and then you put it in the hands of some of their other pitchers like David Safford, seeing Jacob Lee, who have been a little bit inconsistent but have had some pretty good games too in the mix there as well. So moving on now to another sport who has absolutely been dominating uh, Syosset for the past as many years as I can remember, really, which is boys lacrosse, always has a strong program here in Syosset. Uh, they actually look up uh, tonight to face uh, Hicksville in their first game of the playoffs. So what are we going to look for, for from this team to be able to go forward in this playoffs and continue the great season they had? Yeah, the Braves are in a really uh, good place right now, 12-2 and overall, 7-1 and in conference, and their recent success has really been good. They've uh, they had one loss on May first to Massapequa, but before that, their last loss came in the end of the month of March. So they really had a, an amazing April, a solid May, and a good March. Uh, and then, of course, they're playing Hicksville right now on the game field up up top, at, you know, outside. And they beat Hicksville 19-1 to in the early April, so I like the, their chances to come out, uh, out of this one successful and move on, continue their success deeper down in this playoffs. Yeah, and as Spencer mentioned, this team was really consistent year-round, and I think that's going to be the theme right here. Just like the baseball team, kind of the opposite, they have been consistent. So I think the biggest thing that this team needs to focus on is not getting cocky. You have all these stars, all these commits, Sayas is really under pressure this year with such a good core and nucleus of players and, and, and upperclassmen to win. And they should be expected nothing less for this team. So throughout these playoffs, this team needs to play at their very best and really just have all the confidence in the world to make as big as a run as possible. Yeah, no doubt. Plus, you talk about consistency, and that's exactly what they've gotten from their goaltending uh, tandem with Anthony Solaro and Joey Greco. Both of them have uh, really played absolutely amazing all season long, making saves, splitting time too, which is not always easy to do. Uh, 
coming from a goalie perspective, I believe you're a goalie too in soccer, yeah. correct? Yeah, and I'm a goalie in hockey, and splitting games is not the easiest thing to do. It's hard for consistency, so for these two players to be able to split games and still be so consistent is really, really something special. I love that you brought my that point because I've had several experiences over my past few years of playing soccer at a very high level of having to split games playing goalie. And just from experience, I don't know about you, if you were, had to split games, but it is extremely hard coming into a second half of a game after the starting goalie did all the work. And it's also hard being the starting goalie knowing that in five minutes you're coming out of this game and the, it's going into the hands of a guy that you're really competing against for the only spot on your team. As we know, goalkeeping is the only spot on the team where there's only one position. It's not like a defenseman or an attacker where you have a multitude of positions that you can have play. So you're not really playing aside them, you're playing against them. So it's really hard to keep a level-headed mindset at the same time. So credit to those two for really being good team players and producing at a very high level. Yeah, for sure, and they've been key to their success all season long, and obviously we're all hoping that that continues going into the playoffs tonight. And then before we get into the weather, just real quick, I'd like to mention the girls lacrosse. The girls lacrosse team has had a pretty good season. Also, uh, they really are riding uh, their really good goaltender in Tori Sini. She's been playing well all season long, hasn't disappointed really. Uh, They've had a few tough losses, but for this girls lacrosse team, I I think that they have a chance to go far. They kick off their playoffs Tuesday, 4 p.m. at Adelphi, and they play Farmingdale. So uh, the best luck to them. I think that they'll get a lot of uh, key scoring from the players like Kendall Halpern, Sammy DeCapita, uh, Kayla Golmi. Uh, Kendall Halpern's been committed to Northwestern since middle school. So uh, really for this team, you look for big scoring and good goaltending from Tori Sini as well. Uh, so that wraps up our school sports talk. And now before we get into some of the biggest news going on this week, the draft lottery, uh, Cole has the weather for you. And it will be the happiest weather report you've heard in a while because, boy, does this weather look great. Going into tomorrow, Saturday, amazingly already, the 18th of May. Look for a a partially cloudy day. High of 71, low of 56. Going into Sunday, the 19th, another partially cloudy day. High of 70 and a low of 61. But that's not too low to me because that looks like great weather coming up for this weekend slate. No doubt great weather. I'm excited Winter is killing everyone, I think, and uh, with summer coming, only brings joy and happiness. So, uh, moving on to the draft lottery. Man, oh man, big things <sighs> happening here, you know. But let's look at it. Was changing the format the right move for the NBA? Uh, obviously, we saw the results. <laughs> everyone else saw the results. The New Orleans Pelicans, first pick. Memphis Grizzlies, second pick. And the Knicks with the third pick and the Lakers with the fourth pick, just to uh, let all our listeners know what the top four picks were. So do you think this format change was the right move? I absolutely do. And I know that I'm sitting in the company of two New York Knicks fans, so I fully anticipate for this argument to be challenged. But looking at it from a somewhat objective perspective, knowing that my Boston Celtics uh, were getting you know the 14th pick kind of regardless, I like the way this played out um, as a fan because lottery night was significantly more exciting, and I know that wasn't even the intention of the change. The intention was to prevent tanking, but the side effect was that the lottery uh, night was uh, very entertaining, seeing that the Lakers and uh, the Grizzlies and the Pelicans all you know, 
penetrated that top four. They weren't really supposed to uh, be there necessarily. And I think the one issue they had in this first year, and it's an issue that's kind of been prevalent for the NBA across all their platforms, is that the presentation did not match the, like the product. So we saw it similarly in the NBA All-Star Draft in the first year it was implemented. like the, It was a good idea. It played out well, but it could have been a lot better. And then this year there was more transparency with the All-Star Draft, and really the product was um, significantly improved because of the presentation. And I think that's what we're going to see um, in the coming years with the NBA Draft Lottery because they did it in uh, the format that was similar as the years prior where uh, there was significantly less turnover and drama. And really we saw that Rachel Nichols and the ESPN crew uh, was kind of out of whack as all these significant things were happening with the Lakers and the Knicks and whatnot. And they didn't really have the presentation to match um, really the, the drama that ensued. And I think in the coming years, what we're going to see is a more comprehensive, um, in-depth lottery presentation. And it's going to make it even more of an event than it already is. And this is all secondary to the fact that the main point of this change is limiting um, tanky. And for the NBA, that's great because you have teams that are repeatedly bad. But again, teams like the Chicago Bulls, not necessarily the case. And they're just tanking outright. I think this is probably better for the parity of the NBA where we have a more even draft and you can't put all your eggs in that singular basket of losing games and hoping to get Zion uh, Williamson or whoever that first pick may be in the years ahead. Yeah, and um, Spencer, you made some excellent points right there. And as many of you know, if you follow my Instagram I did put out a conspiracy theory the day of the draft. That <laughs> I know I see I see I see Ethan laughing right now. <laughs> I strongly predicted that Adam Silver is going to fix the draft and put Zion on the Knicks to put one of the most uh, like unbelievable marriages that we've seen in sports in such a long time right together. And I was proven wrong. And then I I posted a whole podcast actually yesterday about kind of giving an apology for everything, but also explaining. Why, even as a Knicks fan, not getting Zion, even my conspiracy not being right, this was the right move by the NBA to put implement this format, have a huge change this year in the draft, and abolish tanking forever. And Rudy Gobert on Twitter put it best. Tanking being done, tanking being over, or hashtag canceled as people like to say now in social media, is unbelievable for the NBA. And there's so many reasons why. Between... The uprising gambling now, how each and every night there's going to be competitive games and you're not going to bet on a game that you know that in the fourth quarter, if a team goes down 10, they can just say, look, we're just going to end this game right now and bench the whole team. And then you look at just the competitiveness throughout the season, that there's going to be playoff fights going into the last week, not just from the, like, I think in the Western Conference this year, the Eastern Conference, I can't even remember. I think, yeah, the West, I think the top eight seeds were already decided two or three weeks before the season actually ended. Expect deeper playoff runs, playoff race runs now in the NBA. That's going to be a huge point. And one more point I want to touch on. Yes, I brought up that conspiracy theory with fixing the draft. Adam Silver proved during this draft by not fixing the draft, like David Stern obviously did in the past. I think that's an undebatable point. I'll stand by that. He fixed so many drafts for the sake of the NBA, putting together marriages like... Shaq and the Magic and Weber also got drafted by the Magic and Ewing to the Knicks and Rose to the Bulls, LeBron to the Cavs. There's so many options right there just to talk about. But Adam Silver really cares about the integrity of this game. And the NBA is his life. And I really have the utmost respect for Adam Silver for going out 
and doing what's best for the league over the general consensus interest of the fans who want to see Zion Williamson take over the Garden. So I want to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, competitive balance for the NBA, I think, is one of their biggest issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, No doubt. I think, in my opinion, from being a fan of every other uh, sport, being a diehard fan of uh, all four major sports, uh, I think that regarding the NBA, really when it comes down to playoffs, there are eight teams vying for the NBA championship, and really the first rounds have no meaning uh, because there's no balance uh, in this league. And I feel like with hopefully getting rid of tanking with the draft now being the way it is, that there will be more competitive balance brought back to this league, and you won't have teams ridiculously under 500 making the playoffs as an eighth seed, and then obviously getting swept or maybe sneaking one win out in the first round in almost a pointless series. So I think the competitive balance is huge for that, and I commend Silver for his work there as well. Yeah, I don't know how far you want to get into this topic of competitive balance, but I will say this. Um, I think the NBA is heading in a direction from this year on um, that's better, the best that it's been in the last five or six years in terms of competitive balance. A lot of that not only has to do with rule changes such as this draft format that they're implementing, but also natural progression of time um, and mainly Kevin Durant and the expected departure from Golden State. I anticipate uh, probably to the happiness of Knicks fans that Kevin Durant is going (laughs) to go to the New York Knicks. It seems like the first legitimate rumor that I've, uh, you know, of, of all the star players that I've ever been floated to go to the Knicks. This one actually seems like it has some it has some hold. And with Kevin Durant in the Eastern Conference, whether it be with the Knicks or someone else, we're going to see a league that really has legitimate challengers um, to their Western Conference opponents. But I would even urge viewers to focus on this season because going back to Kevin Durant, and this also has to do with um, luck or lack thereof for KD's sake and the Warriors, but with his injury... I think the and and even before his injury, but especially after his injury, the Warriors are the most vulnerable. And I said this before that they've ever been um, in their dynasty this year. And I think that's because all these teams that are uh, slated to come out of the East now they've narrowed it down to Toronto and Milwaukee are better matched to play Golden State than were any of the LeBron teams. And while those LeBron Cavs teams that came out of the East the four years prior um, were handedly the best team in the Eastern Conference all those years, I steadily believe that, at least for the last two, they weren't the best match for the Warriors because they're, the way the team was constructed um, just really didn't have any clash with Golden State um, in terms of Golden State's a three-point shooting team. They have longer guys, and you really need to match them um, with guys who are equally long and can defend and, and have that athleticism. So now you look at teams led by Giannis and the Bucks and Kawhi and the Raptors, respectively. These teams seem better and deeper um, in their ability to counteract Golden State. And I really thoroughly believe that this NBA Finals, KD or not, is going to be the best one that we've seen since the Cavaliers came back 3-1 and knocked off Golden State that year. So NBA uh, has a lot to be excited about, both with this finals and, of course, going forward uh, with Kevin Durant's expected departure from the Bay Area.
Yeah, no doubt. And I'm going to move us actually back to the draft because I do have a couple more questions uh, about specifically the Pelicans and the Knicks in this draft. So Pelicans, as I mentioned before, got the first pick. Zion will almost undoubtedly be a Pelican. Mm -hmm. Is Zion really in a bad place? I really don't think he is. And I think there's so much going right in New Orleans that people are really ignoring and they're focusing more on the fact of the past and I'm talking about the deeper past, which is the beginning years of Anthony Davis where the franchise was in complete dysfunction between the ownership and the front office. And the fact that New Orleans basketball just in general was more than second fiddle to the Saints. Like, it was just ridiculous. But New Orleans is undergoing a culture change. And I'm 100% positive that it's going to have an impact on the team. Between bringing in general manager David Griffin, a very level-headed guy, and Gail Benson to run the team as the owner... And they're just really doing a lot to help this franchise. I even heard a rumor today that Gail Benson accepted an offer to build a multi-million dollar um, facility for the Pelicans. So they're really doing a lot to make this a basketball city as much as possible. But something something that's not really getting enough talk right now is the passionate fans in the city. This is a city that's very capable of grooming a basketball team and becoming basketball fans and people are really discounting that idea because New Orleans is an amazing city that people tend to really like and they have passionate fans we've seen that with the Saints and there's no reason why they can't support their hometown just because it's a different sport I think that's a huge point right here but talking more on the basketball side of things this team is in a pretty good spot right now between having a good cornerstone and Drew Holiday already to help out Zion and having the most important piece, which is a trade chip, and Anthony Davis. I do not think he's coming back, and I think the Pelicans have the leverage to get a huge haul back for Davis and bring in a ton of guys who are at Zion's age, potentially, to build this team around and really bring the team forward in the future. Yeah, and also to add on to that point, uh, just in general about the city and to kind of tie it back to the fact that now the rules are changing, I think that uh, what's especially impacted by the new draft rules are these smaller market mm-hmm. cities, uh, such as New Orleans, such as uh, maybe Charlotte, uh, Indiana, the Memphis. Pacers, Memphis, obviously. Yeah, so all these smaller market teams who probably thought we have no shot, they're going to rig the draft, they're going to do this, like all of that sort of sentiment coming from those fans, they're really happy with this change because now they get a chance to get the best players and to to not think that they're being treated unfairly and to finally kind of gain momentum and be uh, pushed forward into the bigger market so that they can gain more popularity. Yeah, I like what Cole said about there being a lot of unrealized potential in New Orleans and a lot of room for growth. Now, I actually think it's in the Pelicans' best interest to go forward with the Anthony Davis trade and cash in on some value. And I see that Zion Williamson uh, in the future is going to be playing with someone from Duke. I don't think that person is going to be R.J. Barrett. I don't see AD going to the Knicks. Instead, I see the Pelicans, uh, and they've already put news out about this, lining up with the Boston Celtics as their best trade partner. And that's because... Regardless, Kyrie or not, they have the best package to send to New Orleans. You're going to see that package headlined by Jason Tatum, who uh, previously was the third pick in the draft, but over his first two years has proven... uh, both in the regular season and the playoffs, that he's an effective, creative scorer in the NBA. So the deal is, now that they have Davis in Boston, you have a player in Tatum, a player in Zion, and probably Jalen Brown from the Celtics, if I had Mm -hmm. to guess. Uh, So three guys there 
who are really on the same timeline, whereas Anthony Davis is definitely on a different timeline than Zion Williamson, but with Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Zion, you have three guys who are in uh, their early 20s, and what that's going to do is make the New Orleans Pelicans an exciting basketball team, uh, a young basketball team, an athletic team, and you complement those three uh, really effective wings with a guard in Drew Holiday, who's one of the NBA's savviest veterans, and then you get a, a solid big man, whoever that might be, and all of a sudden you have a contender in the West, especially with a KD list Golden State Warriors. Maybe you're building the next Golden State Warriors uh, with that trio. And going back to New Orleans as a culture center as a city um of course they were decimated by katrina in the early 2000s but we've seen the passion and the way that they rally around teams in that city that are good the new orleans saints have no lack of support they, their fans are some of the best in the nfl and i think that they're a part of new orleans there's a part of new orleans that could even be better for basketball than it was for football now it's no secret that new orleans uh as a city has one of america's predominant african-american populations and of course the nba is the singular sport where african-americans have the most representation it's no secret that people look up to people who are similar like them and if you could put a generational star like zion williamson in a city with two two or three players around him who are going to give him the ability to be his best self and make it a truly and you know aspirational exciting product in the pelicans something that they haven't been in the past even with anthony davis you could potentially be looking at one of the nba's next franchises that's going to make that jump from lower tier small market to mid-market and potentially elevating itself into being uh, a destination type city to play with a history and a legacy so if i'm the nba and i know uh, you commend them for not rigging this i think it was actually good that they didn't rig this because that City now finally has a chance to establish itself uh, as a market and really do some exciting things. So uh, very interested to see what goes down in New Orleans over the next few years. Now, I do have one last question before we wrap up this draft uh, talk. And really, it has to do with, and I, I don't agree with this, what I'm about to say before I say it. But what do you think makes that package that you just said from the Celtics better than if the Knicks were to give up a future first-round pick, a third overall pick this year, Frank Nilakina, Dennis Smith Jr., Mitch Robinson, and Kevin Knox. So we're looking at Mitch Robinson, Dennis Smith Jr., Frank Nilakina, Kevin Knox, and two first-round picks. So I'll start by saying that I don't think that offer would yeah, ever come out of New York I. because it's, but, uh, it would just kill your organization exactly. if you did well, I think, it. Well, you think, I think you have to look at the bigger picture to it, just all the assets they have because there's so many pieces they can mix and match because in terms of assets, quickly, I'm just going to mention it, they have the number three overall pick in this draft, which is significantly more valuable than the number four pick that they easily could have gotten. And then it goes down the list. They have two first-round picks from Dallas from the Porzingis trade. They have two future first-round picks from themselves, and then they have a whole nucleus of young guys in Dennis Smith, Frank Nielakina, Kevin Knox. Um, they can even give up Trier if they want to, if they re-sign him. Mitchell Robinson, There's, I mean, there's just a total influx of guys they can give up, so there's a lot of picks, pieces they can mix and match. But Spencer, go on. Yeah, so this league, and, and you look at those guys, those are all solid players, but this league um, is clear, so clearly, and more than any other league, driven by the star quality on your team. And what differentiates the Knicks offer and, yeah, Kevin Knox, Dennis Smith, those guys are solid. R.J. Barrett, I fully expect him to be a good NBA player. And the Celtics offer of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and potentially uh, the Memphis pick next year, the Kings the Kings pick was this year, but the Memphis pick next year uh, is 
expected to be top 14 is that Tatum and Brown are both guys who are on that cusp of stardom, even super stardom. And with New Orleans, you're getting two safe bets there, whereas R.J. Barrett like is supposed to be good, but he hasn't been proven to shoot the three. He's not defensively resembling of what uh, Jalen Brown is, and he doesn't have half the moves that Jason Tatum has as a scorer. So you take the safe bet from Boston, you assemble a core of Brown, Tatum, and, and of course Zion, and you're looking at three guys right there who together could really take this league by storm. And the Knicks pick, even though they might offer you more in terms of quantity, what they offer in terms of quality is nowhere near uh, what Boston is giving you. We'll get to the Knicks in a second, but what do you think the Celtics' plan would be if they give up that whole young core and they potentially lose Kyrie Irving and now they have Anthony Davis and kind of a, bun- a big blank space there Yeah, so Danny Age is undoubtedly a risk taker. They call him Trader Danny for a reason. If we look at the Celtics team that brings in Anthony Davis, what you're going to do is optimize the final years of Al Horford. He's a true power forward. He does not like playing the five. You'll put him at the four. Then at the three, you expect Gordon Hayward to take that spot. Mm-hmm. Um, Hayward's been a guy who throughout his career when he was healthy was an all-star in the Western Conference when the West was at its peaks. So he's a proven scorer. We saw it at the end of the season. He's starting to get his legs under him. I think they expect next year to get the Gordon Hayward that they paid for. So he'll be at the three. And then Marcus Smart, really the team captain, the heart and soul at the two. Um, and in Marcus Smart, they, they view a guy who not only is an all-NBA-level defender, but one of the grittiest players. One, mm-hmm. he's, he's essentially there, Draymond Green. And then, of course, that leaves you the point guard spot. In the interim, you could look at them bringing back Rozier, and that's not a bad option because when Rozier was given uh, the space to operate as the number one guy, he succeeded. He did better than Kyrie Irving if we're Mm -hmm. just looking at wins and losses. But the long-term plan, I think, would be to bring in a different kind of point guard. I wouldn't be surprised if they tested Kemba uh, Walker in free agency or if they looked at Mike Conley Conley. in a trade uh, knowing that – Memphis is going to give up their point guard because John Morant's coming in. So if you bring in Conley or Kemba Walker, you're kind of looking at a team that's on net better because the issue with Boston uh, this past year, and I don't want to go too far into a tangent, but I got to complete my thought, is that they – it's not that they didn't have enough talent. It's that they almost had too much talent, and Brad Stevens, to his fault, was not able to organize that talent in a way that was conducive to winning. So what they're doing uh, in fear of having – you know, too many pieces is consolidating that talent into players who are more elite. So with Anthony Davis, with potentially Gordon Hayward at the three and Al at the four, you're letting these guys breathe. They're going to see the ball enough. You're taking the toxicity away and the stress of players competing for touches. And I think they're just kind of throwing stuff at the wall. But at this point, we saw it worked in Toronto. I think it could work uh, in Boston with an organization like that. And of course, the top five player in the NBA in AD. I really like that theory, Spencer, and I think it really builds a gritty starting five for the Celtics, something that their team really lives by. It's one of their ideologies to have a gritty starting five like that, and I have full trust in Danny Age and Brad Stevens to really bring in some cheap, really good, cheaper options to build the rest of the team around, and they're going to attract people if they have a good season right there. But going back to the Knicks, as I mentioned earlier, I was really sitting down and thinking about the past few days how they should approach this, all these Davis rumors. While Davis is huge... It's a tough decision because the Knicks have prided themselves ever since replacing Phil Jackson on building from the bottom up. They've drafted extremely well. They've developed extremely well. They brought in a good developing coach in David Fisdale. That's what they preach on. So it would kind of be going against their values to give up all those guys to get Anthony Davis as a free agent next year. But if you want a counter-argument, 
you look at the situation they have right now in a prime position to get Kevin Durant and potentially Kyrie Irving or Kemba Walker, regardless, two max free agents in free agency this summer, and you say, look, do you think KD and Kyrie want to are going to be more tempted to come for sure if there's any uncertainty. I actually don't think there is any uncertainty with the Knicks. I think they have a done deal with Kyrie and Kevin Durant right now. That's my feeling. My gut feeling right now is they have that. But for some reason, there really wasn't a commitment yet. Maybe trading for Davis puts them over the top. I'm not even endorsing it. I'm just saying that could be a potential idea. But in terms of how the Knicks should even approach this whole trading journey with Anthony Davis, if they ever were ever to explore a trade, I think the way that they can get the best value for Davis if you really think about it, is waiting until the trade deadline of next season. It sounds like a crazy idea at first, but I want you to hear me out on this right now. If you're looking at potential options for the Pelicans right now, of guys that they could, teams that they could potentially trade for with Anthony Davis, that would be that Anthony Davis would be accepting the go-to and sign a long-term deal with because no team is going to trade for Davis unless they know for sure that Davis is going to sign a long-term extension. So, if no team right now has the balls really to go out and trade for Davis. It goes on in time and you're eventually find yourself at the trade deadline next season because the Pelicans are going to be desperate for an offer by then to get some kind of value for Anthony Davis because right now they're in the prime position. The team can get a full year of Anthony Davis right now if they trade for him. But is it really worth it if you know you're not getting the full value? I think the Knicks wait until the trade deadline potentially and then that would give them their best deal because they wouldn't have to give up as many assets they've as they have to do right now, because the Pelicans are getting much more desperate than they are in the present, where they're going to ask for a huge asking price from the Knicks that I think Perry and Mills are going to be really unacceptable to take the deal. So interesting take right there, and I hate to do this, but we do have about four other sports to cover. So I am going to wrap up this uh, NBA draft talk right here, but we still have some awesome NBA playoff talk coming up right after this quick message here on WKWZ 88.5 FM. So stay tuned. When you need them, your local volunteer fire department routinely answers the call. Whether it be a fire, traffic accident, or a cat stuck in a tree, there is always someone there for you. However, because of declines in memberships, departments are becoming understaffed and struggling. Here's how you can help your neighbors and your community. No matter what skills you may possess, you can make a difference. Your local volunteer fire department desperately needs your help. Can you direct traffic, install a smoke alarm, help at fundraisers? Your community needs you. You don't have to fight fire to be a volunteer. Will you make that difference? Will you answer the call? Brought to you by the National Volunteer Firefighter Recruitment Center, a program service of the Volunteer Firefighter Alliance. For more information on how you can help and make a difference, visit www.nvfrc.org. That's www.nvfrc.org. We're back here on WKWZ 88.5 FM, Syosset. This is Friday Night Lights, and there's been a change of plans. Yeah. There has been a decision <laughs> to continue this NBA draft talk, because how could we not? Also, just before we continue it, I'd like to read out where the series are at now, just so that we can inform our listeners. So Golden State took a 2 to nothing lead versus Portland last night. Game 3 is tomorrow. And... Milwaukee leads Toronto 1-0, and Game 2 is tonight. 
back to the NBA draft. Any, any quick predictions for that series before we get to the draft? Which one? The for bo- both series. Both. Just Golden quickly, State's going to sweep Portland, and I got uh, Milwaukee winning in six. Uh, I also have Milwaukee. I don't think they're going to sweep Portland, though, regarding the uh, Golden State series. I think it's going to go to a game five. I uh, say Golden State in five, and I'm going to take the Bucks in five, too. That's my bold prediction right all there. All right. Well, let's move back to this NBA draft. I mean, do we want to talk about the Knicks still? Do yeah, we can, we, can we finish yeah. my I argument a, quickly? I yeah, want yeah. Cole to finish, and then I got something to say to Cole about his argument. All right. Yeah, so, so just, just to recap what I just said, I think the Knicks should wait until the trade deadline so the demand of the Pelicans um, hugely decreases than what it is right now, and I think that will be, give them their best value, and they can bring them in midseason if they really need to and give up as little assets as possible to get the best package for Anthony Davis. Unless the Celtics come out and make an offer right now, and I think they can make a better offer than the Knicks right now if they give what Spencer proposed. Yeah, I think it's a cute theory, thinking that the Pelicans are going to wait until the trade deadline, but there's really no chance that happens because right now you have a lot of sharks yeah. circling around this this Anthony Davis ship in the water. You have, of course, the Lakers who are really, really aggressive in trading uh, for AD. You have the Celtics and Danny Ainge, his known dealmaker. He's chomping at the bit, and he's been waiting since the previous trade deadline where he was ineligible to trade for AD. Mm-hmm. And I do want to throw out there... People forget that. Yeah, people do forget <laughs> that. I do want to throw out there that... If Anthony Davis comes to the Celtics and that happens before July 1, which, uh, you know, I assume it would because this is probably a draft kind of trade, um, (laughs) then the chances of Kyrie Irving staying put are a lot higher because what you can sell to Kyrie if you're the Boston Celtics is, okay, we, we have stability, something the Knicks don't have. We have come the last two years significantly closer to winning an NBA championship than the Knicks have um, probably in the last 20 years. Then you also have the potential of Anthony Davis, who is one of the top five players in the NBA. Um, Spectacular. And he's friends with Kyrie. Maybe it's not as close of a connection as KD is, but they're friends. He has the potential to stay in the same city. If he's anything for, if he has any regard for, you know, being an honorable man, he can make good on the promise that he made to the fan base earlier this year when he brought them all out to the TD Garden specifically for an event to say that he wants his name in the rafters so he can make good on that. And he can look like he's here in Boston doing his thing, justify his departure from Cleveland, and win a championship with a great coach in Brad Stevens. If he goes to the Knicks, yeah, he might have success with KD, but he's going to be looked at as a guy who had a completely failed experiment in Boston, couldn't survive on his own, and needed Kevin Durant to come bail him out. Whereas if he's in Boston and Anthony Davis comes, you're looking at guys who are viewed in the NBA uh, more as equals. And I think NBA guys are so concerned about their legacy. They all want to be on that Mount Rushmore of all-time greats. And so much... Um, of that is really comprised of the narrative that fans write about your career. And the narrative of a Kyrie Irving championship in Boston is going to be so different than a Kyrie Irving championship in New York. And I think we see that with Kevin Durant because the narrative of a Kevin Durant championship in New York or the narrative of a Kevin Durant championship had he won one in Oklahoma State is drastically different and better for KD's legacy than would be the narrative 
of a Kevin Durant championship in Golden State, as we've seen over the last few years. You know, I've got a few points to come back to that, and I, I will tell you I'll probably forget them as I go along because you said a lot of stuff, and I had a lot of stuff in the back of my mind as you said it. So uh, to start off, I really don't know how winning a championship with New York could in any way put a mark on Kyrie Irving's career. I mean, New York winning to win a championship in New York is like, Nothing else. I mean, you oh, heard. I agree. New York is the premier city to win a championship. But if we look at things through Kyrie Irving's specific lens uh, of his career, what you see if he went to New York would be that, oh, okay, Kyrie, like you couldn't do it in Boston. You couldn't do it on your own. You left LeBron. You thought you could be the man. You clearly weren't the man. You went to New York. Kevin Durant bailed you out and got you a championship. But by that logic, then LeBron James should not be looked at as having a good. I mean, he left the. Cleveland Cavaliers no, but LeBron was the guy. To, like, and LeBron to, won to, a championship as the guy, and he, if he in LA wins, then he'll also be the guy. But he did have to go to play with Bosh and Wade. But he was still, he was still unquestionably so, why, the best why player. Are we not, why, why are we not mad at LeBron? We are mad at LeBron, but yeah, people I mean, are so mad no, at LeBron. The thing yeah, with yeah. LeBron in those situations is that he was, no, no matter where he was in his career, always the alpha male on the team. He was always the centerpiece, the unquestioned um, best player, the guy that. You know, really calls us shots. Now, Kyrie in Boston is that guy. He's their franchise player. Not if AD but, comes, though. Yeah, but yeah. it looks like he's just getting help. The same way that Paul Pierce got help from Kevin Garnett, but Paul Pierce is like still the guy in Boston. AD would be the Kevin Garnett. But if Kyrie goes to New York and follows KD, more or less, then he he's back to being the B guy. And yeah, but he'd be the, he'd be the extra piece that brought New York the championship. Yeah. KD is always going to be the guy that gets the KD love. KD can't do it on his own. KD's gotten the love, and, and <laughs> yeah. if KD wins a championship but in he New can't York, do that Kyrie. He, of course, he can't do it without someone else. But I think we all agree that KD could go to another city with good complementary players and win, not Kyrie specifically. But what's the jury is still out on in in the eyes of NBA fans is whether or not Kyrie Irving is a viable best option, and if he wins with Anthony Davis. The, his legitimacy as the best option is a lot better than it would be if he wins with Kevin Durant. So right now, but the way I'm seeing it right now, one of the points that you are bringing up is that Kyrie Irving is undeniably a better player than Anthony Davis. No, that's is not that, what I'm saying. So but then how would he, Kyrie Irving still be the best man on the team? Right, if so it's, he's been there before. It, it has to do yeah. with exactly. It has okay, to, it's so not that he's li- literally CDR-y better, basically. but it's just the yeah, fact okay. that it's perception. Like he was the pioneer so to speak, of that generation of players in Boston, uh, the same way that Paul Pierce was. And I know Kyrie wasn't drafted by the Celtics, but seeing that he came and demanded a trade uh, there two years prior, then he looks like you know the, the pioneer of that dynasty. And he does not have that same perception of being like the pioneer, the alpha, um, if he went to New York. In fact, he'd be the, the guy that's latching on. So I think... If he has the assurance of Anthony Davis coming, then it's better for his legacy to stay in Boston. Now, this said, if Anthony Davis is not coming to Boston, then it does not look good for Kyrie Irving to stay there because there's no chance he wins the championship on his own as the best player. And it's much better to salvage your career, go have some fun in New York with KD, than just run away um, with the Celtics. So that's what I'll say about Kyrie. But I think he sees it similarly because I've seen reports that the Celtics feel pretty confident if they get Anthony Davis about their chances of keeping number 11. All right. Well, I mean, 
do do we think we've gotten out everything you wanted to say about the NBA draft? Because I would love to talk some NHL playoffs with you guys as well. (laughs) Before I get into the NHL playoffs, though, let me just tell you guys, Brave Fest, Syosset's Music and Arts Festival is Saturday, June 1st. It's at the Syosset High School soccer field. Free admission, but there will be food sold by clubs. There will be performances and other fun activities. Lots of good food to buy to support a variety of school clubs. It will be a great time to get together with friends, relax, and have fun. If your club is interested in selling anything or having a booth, please DM the student government Instagram page at syosset underscore student gov or reach out to Abby Blick. Uh, This is a fun event. I've into it a couple years and it it really is fun lots of club selling stuff and a good opportunity to to just hang out with friends as um i just said before so moving on to the nhl stanley cup playoffs boston officially swept the canes who swept the aisles who swept the pens what (laughs) propelled boston in this series against the canes uh, and what are we expecting them it, to do in the Stanley Cup Finals? Will they complete this trend and get swept? I don't think they'll complete the trend because this is just not only was it a, a dominant series for the Bruins and they just proved that, but this is this Bruins team is just so much different than the Hurricanes team and the Islanders team that both had sweeps of their own because this is a team full of veterans and guys and stars who have done it before. And I think that's the biggest piece for an NHL team specifically to go and make a run of the cup, especially when you have a, a bit of a shakier team like San Jose coming in who can come off a really tricky series if they win, or on the other side, if, if um, St. Louis does it as well. Yeah, what I see in Boston is this perfect fusion of experience and youth because you have older guys, of course, Sedano Chara, the captain, but if we're looking at more effective players, Patrice Bergeron, the goaltender, Tuka Rask, who has just been playing out yeah. of his mind this entire playoffs. Um, if David Backus, David Krejci, those types. But you mesh them with Charlie McAvoy, David Pasternak, the younger generation of players. And it's really been this perfect storm for Boston um, on their way you know, back to contention because they met that, t- that core that, that did it in uh, 2011 with this younger team that they've assembled since and of course this is all under the guidance of head coach Bruce Cassidy who has really been um, electric to say the least uh, as head coach of the Boston Bruins after he took over and you know this new regime that they've had in they kicked out Shirelli who proved himself to be an inadequate GM with the Oilers uh, and, and Cassidy as head coach has really you know, taken over for uh, Claude. It's shown that uh, this team's been pretty good and uh, they have good energy. And, hey, for the city of Boston, if it weren't for the Celtics, they'd have a really good shot at getting that slam. Be something that uh, I don't think has ever been done before. It's been a long three months, with, Spencer. Yeah, yeah I, I, know, I feel right? really bad for the city of Boston, you know. Uh, everything seems <laughs> to go wrong, and finally they get a chance to compete for a big trophy <laughs> in sports. So, uh, but, you know, this this Boston team is nothing can't be taken lightly. This is an amazing team that they have here. Between Tuka Rask, who, if you look at his stats in elimination games, it's absolutely insane. He has two shutouts so far uh, in this uh, Stanley Cup playoffs in elimination games. And in the one against Toronto, he only gave up one goal. That's unbelievable to do under so much pressure as a goaltender in an NHL game. It's incredible what he's been able to do, making absolutely awesome saves. Uh, you hear Tuke at every arena you go to. The fans are traveling with him, and he really is such a 
key piece for this team, even with Jarl Halak uh, splitting some of the time in the regular season. Rask has obviously been the secure starter for the Stanley Cup playoffs, and it's been key to their success. Yeah, and it's been cool for Tuga to have this uh, success in the playoffs because he's always been held in that regard of being a good goalie, but over the past few years before this one, there had been a lot of questions, especially within the hostile sports media market of Boston, about whether Tuka Rask was still a good goalie. Uh, he would catch a lot of heat for the shortcomings of the Bruins that quite simply were not uh, his responsibilities. But now that he's having such a distinguished playoff run and a Stanley Cup run, he's erased any of those doubts, and he's back to being almost worshipped as one of these uh, legendary Bruins players in Boston as much success as the Patriots have had and the Red Sox, of course, I think at its core is somewhat of a hockey city. Bobby Orr, the original six team, it's a white-collar city, a lot of hardworking people, or blue-collar city, rather, a lot of hardworking people. Um, you know, Boston is, you know, chowder, it's hockey, it's Beantown, and I think the Bruins really fit that identity of the city, and it's cool to see. Yeah, Dave Portnoy really is, like, he says it best. I mean, Boston obviously is a hockey city, and it's good to see their hockey team doing well. I mean, I, I don't like any Boston team obviously being a New York fan, but there's no denying that this Bruins team is is good, and they're going to have a good shot. I, they're not going to get swept in the finals. I'm saying it now. They're not going to because, <laughs> I, as you said, Cole, they are not the Islanders, and they're not the Canes, and they're not even the Penguins, who this year had uh, not a great season considering the talent on that lineup. So uh, I think it's going to be a fun Stanley Cup final. So, uh, and before we get into the NFL, I'd also like to mention a bit of controversy in the NHL going on right now. San Jose leads 2-1 to one in the series versus St. Louis. The Sharks won their last game on an overtime goal to win 5-4. to four. But... The goal was marked with a lot of questions because of a hand pass that led directly to the goal. What are your thoughts on this, and what do you think the NHL does going forward to prevent something like this from happening again? I mean, if you really watch the play, it's not the most, like, blatant thing. In the, I mean, it was blatant that he had the hand pass, but yeah. I'm saying it wasn't, like, the biggest impact. Like, he literally took the ball and rolled it out in front of him. It was kind yeah. of, kind of a bit of a, rule book, a, bit of a tap, way. but that's what I'm saying. The rules are the rules. There's no running around them if you have to. If there's a rule set in stone and you have the chance to make the call right there, that's a call that needs to be made. There's no excuse to be there. Yeah, I mean, for it, it's such a tough situation. The NHL right now has been dealing with a lot of backlash over the referees so far in these Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, you look at San Jose, they got pretty lucky there with that major penalty uh, to Joe Pavelski in that series against the Golden Knights. Obviously, there is no excuse for giving up four goals in a span of five minutes for the Golden Knights. So uh, I don't see that as as much of a problem, but still a bad call there. You've gotten some bad calls between the Islanders and the Canes with goals getting called back uh, and with the Islanders getting a bad goalie interference call, the Bruins getting a bad goalie interference call. Both of them should have counted as goals, and they didn't. Uh, Both of them against the Canes, coincidentally. Obviously, I don't think they're favoring going on between uh, any teams, even though the San Jose Sharks have gotten a couple big calls, and so have the Canes. But still, it's hard to see this for the NHL, who 
I haven't really seen anything like this in the Stanley Cup playoffs in all of my years of watching hockey referees being such a big focus. And now people are looking for there to be uh, off-ice officials who actually get to review every goal with a video camera. And that way they don't change any of the rules. They just add some guys who are able to enforce those rules. And really the only rule they'd be changing is... uh, reviewing every play kind of like football every touchdown is reviewed it would now be every goal is reviewed right now they can only review it for a high stick goaltender interference or offsides or puck kicked in the net they would then change that so they could look at everything and see if they missed a call so that would be interesting to see it may slow the game down more a lot of people are against it a lot of people are for it but I mean, we'll only get to see come the summer what they do with the rules. But uh, just to move on, I believe we only have time for this one topic, but it's a pretty big one. So let's break down this Jets <laughs> stunning firing of McCaganin. You know, was this the right move for the organization? Why did they let him do all of what he did this offseason? Just thoughts on this whole thing in general with Gase, Le'Veon, everything, mm-hmm. really. We we don't have much time, but I want to squeeze it all in. Let's yeah. As a Jet fan, I actually have a, my thoughts on this are really not agreeing with the consensus of most NFL fans. I think it was the right football move, first of all. I think McCagney was not a great GM. I think his best moves are all moves that literally fell into his lap, which was Jamal Adams falling to six and Leonard Williams similarly falling in the draft. Sam Darnold falling to three after he made up the trade. That might be the that might have been the best move he's ever made, and it will be because Sam Darnold's going to be a phenomenal quarterback. That's going to be the Jets franchise quarterback throughout so many years. But that one fell into his lap. And his biggest thing is that he's been so conservative over time and really hasn't made any splash moves, hasn't been aggressive, hasn't done anything, and was kind of forced to get Le'Veon Bell by the New York media. It kind of got on his head in a way. But the real issue right here is the timing. You're firing your GM in the middle of May. That's a huge deal. But I'm going to make I'm gonna make a counter-argument to that right now, and I actually think the timing was fine in this situation. And that is because... This situation would have dragged on for so long if the Jets kept McCagnin in the building. People have a problem with the Jets going out and doing the entire offseason, which is the biggest free agency, probably the biggest free agency in the history of their franchise, and a massive draft where they had the number three pick and made a lot of controversial picks in the across the whole selection process. But and then they fire their GM after that whole fa- after that whole manner. I think the I think the decision is fine to do it right now because this result of him being fired was because of what the tensions between him and Coach Gase during the offseason plus what happened in the past as the Jets have been terrible over the past over McCagnin's tenure in New York. So I don't have a problem with them firing right now. I think you move on. I think you get a guy from the Eagles like Joe Douglas and the Jets really move forward from there. And I think the team hasn't gotten worse just because they dropped their GM, who really wasn't that good. Yeah, so f- the initial impression is that this reeks of dysfunction, but I actually don't think the timing's horrible either because the Jets had really two options as soon as they hired Adam Gase, and that happened, uh, I believe, in January, right? Yeah. They hired Adam Gase. So January, you hire Adam Gase, and you could either cede the control to him immediately, fire McHagan, which they probably knew they were going to do on the spot, and let Gase take over. The reason they didn't, and I agree with them, is because you don't hand a guy full control of an organization 
a f- just a few months ahead of mm-hmm. one of the most pivotal drafts, one of the most pivotal free agencies of your organization's existence. Instead, <laughs> you give it to McCagnan, who has been preparing for this draft for two or three years, and you let him see it through. We've seen traditionally uh, when guys have been given control of drafts right ahead of the draft, they've they've butchered it. So you let McCagnan finish it out. You see his plan through. He actually didn't have a bad draft at all. I thought it was a good draft. Mm-hmm, I, I thought agree. his free agency was pretty solid. The Le'Veon Bell thing, I know he and Gase don't see eye-to-eye there. We'll see how that turns out. But he brought in linebacker um, C.J. Mosley. That was pretty good. He whiffed on bar. That's a different story. But you just don't fire a guy in the middle of, uh, you know, right before an offseason, right before a draft, because that sends your organization uh, into dysfunction. If you want to tell the Jets when they should have made this move, it should have been last year in the middle of the season. Now, Christopher Johnson didn't have that guts to make the move to fire Bulls, to fire McCagnan in the middle of the season, but he wanted to not do it uh, while they were playing football games. There's two sides of that coin. You could debate the merits of it another time, but knowing that he didn't want to do that, it's the best decision not to do this in January, but to do it in May. Let Gates take control. Next year, I know he's familiar with Douglas as a personnel guy, mm-hmm. and Gase just exudes the uh, the personality of uh, a conqueror. He goes to an organization. He likes to take full control. That's both good and bad, depending on whether you believe he's in the right mind to lead a football team. I'm personally not the biggest fan of what he does, but if you you know believe in Adam Gase, then you're best just putting the chips in his basket, letting him see his vision through, because there's nothing worse than organizational disagreement, and that ultimately is what corroded his stay in Miami. The, apparently, the front office, you know, they had two wings, and they didn't even speak to each other. That's why the Dolphins are where they are right now, picking at the top of the draft consistently. Yeah, and Adam Gase was really disconnected from the team within the past months uh, after he was hired, uh, and leading up to the draft, too, they said that he wasn't uh, sitting with McCaganin and that he really was disconnected from the team and also just regarding the Le'Veon thing so that there is no mix-up what I've been reading now is that the discrepancy wasn't over signing Bell it was mm-hmm. over how much they signed him it's a huge for. point yeah it was not that he didn't want Bell on the team it was that he th- thought that they overpaid him although I really don't think that they overpaid him nah, I don't no, think so they, either. Most, yeah the him. most ironic thing yeah. was they got a bargain <laughs> oh, look <laughs> exactly Spencer and I have had extensive conversations in the past about to take the Patriots theory of not paying skill positions high money. But of all things, and I was so against the Jets signing Le'Veon Bell, but when I saw the news that they got such a bargain in the deal, I yeah. thought it was a phenomenal. So I, I don't see the... I think that might have been an earlier report that kind of just spread into now, now in May, instead of being leaked in January. Yep, and... I mean, I think that this Jets team's going to be a different team this mm-hmm. year. Obviously, it is a different team, but I think it's going to be exciting this year. Uh, so we'll just have to look forward to that. But that just about wraps up our Friday Night Lights show. Thank you guys for listening. And from Spencer Pugash and Cole Nevins, Thank I'm you Ethan Ganey. And good night. Bring, do you hear me calling? on a beat. on a
don't make me feel this weight, weight. Girl, you got your ways, girl. You, I might get away, weight. Let me keep you safe in exchange. Give me brain, brain. You my main thing. Turn around, bang, bang. Take your skirt off Fool me, can't wait to get 